This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and it is my pleasure to be joined today by Ed Kania, who's Vice President for Finance and Administration at Davidson College. Hi, Ed. Good morning, Megan. I wonder if you could start out today, Ed, by telling us the story of how you got introduced to higher education as part of your professional path. Sure. Uh, it was, for me, a mixture of serendipity and determination. Um, I was the controller at an international architectural firm. And during an economic downturn, my boss and I realized that um, the firm could only afford one of us to stay in the long term. So we both started looking for jobs. Now, um, being my age, at the time, there was no surfing the internet. So um, I told How did you ages, survive? Oh, I know. It was, well, I'll tell you, it was a little bit scary. Um, new city. I was only been in the city two years, so I didn't have a lot of contacts. So I just literally went to the yellow pages and tore out the pages for uh, executive search firms. And I called every one of them to find out if they dealt with finance people, were they in my salary range and so on. And if they, if they did, I would uh, send them a resume. Well, I was about three quarters of the way through the list and I called the firm and the question is, yes, they dealt with uh, finance people. Yes, my salary. I said, so may I send your resume? And they said, no. I was pretty intrigued. And why not? Well, they're a retained search firm. They work for companies. And so I just was a little befuddled, and I left the call, hung up, and I went and made a few more calls. And then I said, I I'm going to call them back. And I called them, and I said, okay, so when you do these searches, where do you find resumes? And they said, well, you know, we have some resumes on file. We have some. I said, aha, resumes on file. <laughs> so May I send you my resume? And they kind of resignedly said, sure, do you know, whatever it takes to get you off the phone. And um, the serendipity part was about uh, four weeks later, I got a call from this very firm asking if I was interested in a position at Davidson College. So the fact that the job, the new job was in higher education was um, the serendipitous part because I love higher ed. But without the determination and a little bit of stubbornness to call them back, I would have probably gone in a whole different career direction. So when you first landed at Davidson, then what struck you as being different or interesting about higher education? Did you like it right away? Did you say, oh, my gosh, I've, I've found my place to be for the rest of my professional career? Or, or did you struggle a little bit at that the first part of your job? It was a little bit of both. The, the, the Davidson College is, you know, is a great place. The people are amazing. So I was struck very much by that, um, being surrounded by uh, a bunch of very brilliant people, <clears throat> being challenged in my, in my work all the time. But when I got there, the, the place had um, fallen pretty far behind the times, particularly uh, in the realm of um, technology. Mm. They were still using manual ledger books. Oh, wow. And 
this was something that was a bit befuddling. So not only how to bring the college forward from the dark ages of technology, but also improving the controls and the relationships and, and some other things. So it was, it was simultaneously exciting, but, but also um, a little bit overwhelming. And, and also being in a place, as uh, we all know, that work in higher education, it's driven a lot by committees and consensus. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes a little bit of getting used to at the, at the front end. So when you think back on that time, which skill sets do you think you used the most? And which skill sets did you feel you needed to develop being in a completely different environment? Coming from an, a big, uh, what was then big eight firm background, um, I was I had the ability to go into a variety of industries and, and learn the key of those industries very quickly. Um, so that certainly helped in terms of um, figuring out what higher education was all about. It was also a different type of accounting. Fund accounting was something that I had never done. So mm. had to learn a different accounting structure. Um, and, and so that, that was challenging. Um, my, my experience had certainly prepared me for that. The, um, I think the, the, the other thing that was uh, noticeable right away is the soft skills, what people now refer to as EQ, um, but back then we thought of as people skills, were extremely important because my department had um, very poor relationships across the entire campus. And at the same time, um, people made the assumption that because you were a CPA, that what you cared about was money. And they didn't understand um, necessarily that uh, CPAs are multidimensional people. And we care about more than just the money. We care about the mission. We care about the people. And so that, that is probably the greatest skill set that helped me in the beginning was the ability to relate to people, engage them, um, to ask them what they wanted to do, what their objectives were, how that fit into the college's mission, and then to become um, somewhat of a, of a thought partner or financial planning partner with them to see if there were ways of accomplishing goals um, in ways that they hadn't imagined before. And I would say some of those people skills, as you referred to them, are somewhat inherent in people's character and personality. Some of them you just you just are a people person, but some of them you even if you are a people person, you still have to learn to develop some of those skills and particularly in the role of of a CBO. So how what resources did you turn to along the way or role models did you turn to to sort of develop those character traits if you were? Listening is um, absolutely critical to all of this, and um, non-defensive listening is absolutely critical to all of this. So, frankly, um, you're right. People, 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 you know, love to be engaged and around people, but that didn't necessarily make me the best listener. Um, and, you know, learning, they say for extroverts, the opposite of speaking is waiting, so learning, <laughs> learning how to be patient, letting people um, say one more sentence than um, where you were ready to jump in, which is an active learning process, mm -hmm. frankly, um, is, is a skill that has to be learned. For me, some of the greatest benefits I did was attending a leadership development program, mm. um, doing 360 feedback, um, being non-defensive. And by that, I mean, if somebody came in with a complaint about my department or the accounting or anything that, that had to do with the college, I would do what I do today, which is I take out a paper and pencil, even though I use my laptop 95% of the time. There's something about, you know, making eye contact, listening, 
taking down and, and asking clarifying questions as to what somebody's complaint is. Sometimes you know that they're off base in the first sentence, but at least listening to them. And I can give you a great example of this. A, a faculty member now who was um, a, a good friend of mine, but at the time was a bit intimidating to me, was have, we, we had conversations back and forth about some of the faculty's favorite topics taxes. You know, they don't like the fact that you have to do certain things tax-wise. And so we had had several conversations, and in this course of the conversation, um, she said to me, Ed, this does not make sense. Well, my first reaction was, I've got to come back and tell her why it makes sense. But I, but I paused, and I thought, you know what? She's absolutely right. It doesn't make sense. So I said to her, Verna, I agree, it doesn't make sense, but it is IRS regulation, and we have no choice but to follow it. And so <clears throat> that diffused and turned that situation into a positive, and actually was the beginning of um, quite a good friendship, because um, I took a moment to realize that what I was hearing from somebody was absolute truth, but it didn't excuse us from actually um, following the rules. So we talked a little bit about how you got to Davidson College, but how did you get to your current role? Was it just an easy step from controller to CBO? Um, I'm somewhat of a rarity in that um, I got promoted from controller to uh, CBO, mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily recommend that as the <laughs> as the, the greatest pathway. Why is and I'll that? Tell you, I'll tell you why. Um, it's it's pretty typical that if you're in a controller role, you'd want to move into a CBO role within seven to ten years, let's say. Um, and and the typical pathway for that is by going to other institutions to do that. I fell in love with um, Davidson College and the mission, and the place, and the people. So even, I wanted to be a CBO, but what I really wanted to be was the CBO of Davidson College, and not just a CBO in general. Mm -hmm. So I looked at other opportunities. I walked away from, um, from several of them, because I really wanted to be here. So I gambled. 19 years into my career at Davidson College, this job came, came open again. And I realized at that point in time that it was uh, now or never because I had pushed the boundaries of my existing job as, as far and wide as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. uh, my boss, who is an absolutely wonderful mentor and friend still, had um, suggested I go out and interview for another CBO job at the same time. And um, I did. And as it turned out, I ended up getting uh, two offers for it. And um, the, the, the other offer came a little bit before this one. And once I got that, I realized that if I really wanted to grow, if I really wanted to have integrity in the sense of what I tell students all the time, which is you've got to stretch yourself, you've got to move to the next level, you've got to follow your dreams, that if I didn't get the job at Davidson at that point in time, I was going to have to leave mm. anyway for the integrity of my career and, and so on and so forth. Um, and fortunately, I got the job. But, um, Megan, I'll tell you, this is, this is um, a great story for me, though, because I said my boss had recommended that I interview. Well, from my standpoint, I always thought if your boss told you to go interview for another job, that's probably <laughs> not a good sign. But what she said to me was, you haven't interviewed in a very long time. Mm. You need to go um, get experience with interviewing. She was coaching me along the way for that and for this current job. Um, 
But she was, you know, it was all about making me a vice president, a CBO somewhere, because she knew that was my real passion. So um, we may talk about this later, but the, the role of mentors uh, in your life and the kind of advice that only they can really give to you, um, absolutely cri- critical. And it certainly has been the case in, in my entire career. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Who has served as a professional mentor to you, and, and how did those relationships work, and wh- what did you learn from them? Well, there's, um, there's, there's been a number of people. I've really been very fortunate, but I'll, I'll focus on, on two of them. Um, my, my boss, Karen Goldstein, um, when she came to, to town, I had applied for the job at the same time, and I actually had not been interviewed by Davidson. Um, and I was pretty devastated by that. And I was actually um, close to getting a job offer at another place as CBO. But I decided to take a chance on the new boss and tell her what was going on. And she said to me, okay, um, well, if that's what's good for you, that's fine. Um, I'd really love it if you'd stay, but tell me what you want. What do you want to be? And I, and I said, I want to be the, the CBO at Davidson College. And she said, I can't promise you that. There's too many variables um, in that. But if you stay, I can promise you that I'll help you become a vice president. And I decided, you know, after knowing her just a few weeks, that I I believe in this woman. And she turned out to be an amazing boss, um, mentor, friend. And among other things, what she did was we looked at my skill set. And the thing I was lacking most was endowment investing experience. Mm. That was the reason I didn't get uh, interviewed. Mm. So um, Karen helped me go to some uh, schools that the Common Fund did for investment management. Um, got me involved in the investment committee of the board of trustees, even though that wasn't really part of my job at that point in time. Um, involved me in a lot of uh, decision-making, even if it was just kind of shadowing her and learning the thought processes behind what she was doing as a CBO. And as a consequence, um, I was able to, when she was ready to retire and I applied, I had filled in a lot of those um, those skill deficits, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge, though, is um, we in higher education tend to become enamored with profits from afar. We, a lot of times, it's kind of like if somebody comes from another institution, they've got to be smarter than whoever's here already. And so my one of my greatest challenges in interviewing as an internal candidate was overcoming the fact that I had been here for so long. Right. And people wondering, well, what's this guy going to bring to the CBO job? Is he going, you know, how does he come up with fresh ideas if he's been at the same place? So that took some convincing. Karen was a great advocate for me on that, on, on that, um, from that standpoint. Also, the president at the time, Tom Ross, had come to me and said something that was a little hard to hear, but was really, really helpful for me. And it's something I continue to follow in advising other people. He said to me, Ed, um, I know you, you've done a good job as a controller here. My job as president, though, is to decide who is the next best chief financial officer of Davidson College. That may be you. It may not be you. Um, but, but just so you understand, it's not a, you know, uh, saying anything critical about your performance to date, but I've got to make that right decision for the college. Now, I was fortunate to be able to kind of overcome that, that hometown guy 
sort of thing. Um, I had a lot of people that were saying, you need to hire Ed. He's been here 19 years. And I was telling them, please don't say that. Let's look at, <laughs> let's, that that's fine. But longevity doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, readiness to move to the next level. That's where, again, hard work comes in. That's where mentoring, that's where opportunities come in to do things that are, are beyond your job that make you more obviously prepared for a different position at another level. So, um, two, you know, two different places there where um, good advice, and in the case of my, of my former boss, just her um, dedication to keep challenging me, to push me in the directions that, that I needed to, so that when she left, I had the best shot I could possibly have at um, being her replacement in the CBO role. How do you come up with fresh ideas being at the same setting for 19 years? How, what do you do to... to- keep it interesting and, and expand your scope of understanding and experience of what's happening outside of Davidson? That's, that's a great question, Megan. And that was a question that one of my friends asked in the public interview phase. And some people thought that was a horrible question, but she knew that I had to be able to answer that um, if I were going to have a shot. So um, it's a lot of things. One is um, staying up on what's happening in, in the profession. And by that, I mean, within higher education, understanding what the the lay of the land is, what the overall issues are, including very much the issues that aren't um, just strictly financial issues. You want to understand the landscape. You want to understand what's happening with with um, distance learning. You want to you want to know the trends in admission and financial aid and demographic trends and so on for the the students that are coming um, and applying for your institution. We as CPAs have um, a natural advantage, if you will, because we have to get at least 40 hours a year of continuing education. And you can use those 40 hours very wisely to look into topics that um, are relevant not only to your present career, but to your future career. Um, And so uh, that and talking to colleagues at other institutions, at peer institutions, finding out what they are doing. What kind of innovative things are they doing? What kind of challenges are they addressing? Um, and so <clears throat> a combination of, of those things, um, just staying fresh, doesn't mean that you have to go somewhere else because going somewhere else can be as simple as picking up the phone and calling a colleague, calling a mentor. It can be um, you know, reading <clears throat> the Nakuba website, um, looking at things like Inside Higher Education, um, and the Chronicle of Higher Ed, there's, there's, and then going to um, courses, the Nakubo Annual Conference, um, the, the local um, Eastern and Southern um, conferences for me in those regards. Those are all places to update skills, to pick up greater knowledge, and identify best practices. Well, and it sounds like you're very intentional about that. Absolutely. I, I, I would say when people ask, you know, what is your biggest fear in life? Some people talk about death and taxes, and um, I understand why those are. Really, my biggest fear is stagnation, personally and professionally. Um, and so that's what really drives me to want to, to, want to learn more, to, um, to try to stay at the forefront. And sometimes that means challenging yourself or challenging the institution that we're in um, to come up with the answer first. Because sometimes you call your colleagues and they don't have the answer yet. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, trying to keep in the back of my mind, I don't know, always know when I go to work how I'm going to solve a particular situation. But I feel like with the resources I have, with the colleagues I have, the college, I mean, again, surrounded by brilliant people, um, with colleagues that are absolutely amazing across the country, I don't know how to solve it necessarily, but I have a, a high level of confidence that we that we will solve whatever the issue is. And that's actually... It's really important to think about it that way because this is what we're challenging our students to do uh, within and beyond the classroom. We're saying we need students of today to go out and solve problems in the world for which there are no known solutions right now. Mm. There, There are no answers in the back of the book. And if we're expecting that from our students, then I feel like we ought to be modeling that same kind of behavior within the business that we're running um, called higher education. What would you say is the biggest challenge that faces all CBOs today, no matter the size of your institution, where you are? I guess on a broad level, the role continues to expand and evolve into things that, you know, five, ten years ago we didn't think about. The compliance requirements um, certainly um, have increased exponentially. But I also, what I've come to learn in my time as CBO is that we really need to be intellectual and strategic thought partners with the president. Um, we need to be work, able to translate vision from trustees and the president that's at 30,000 feet. And most of us live at, you know, 5,000 feet on mm-hmm. a daily basis. But trying to bring people along with the vision, but without leaving them behind. So... If somebody asks a question and we're trying to change the paradigm of how we think about things, uh, a good example, thinking about tuition revenue and um, financial aid expense as separate items, um, that's something we've done for a long time. But to me, it's not really um, the way to think about that question because you don't spend the gross revenue or the gross expense. What you have to deploy in in the um, college and university is net revenue. So you want people to think about, is net revenue growing? Are we able to, even if we're giving more financial aid, and that's translating into more diverse student body, which is very positive, then are we, are we still able to maintain and, and, and increase the amount of net revenue that's available for uh, reinvestment back into the, into the college and university um, programs? Well, People who are still thinking about it as as distinct revenue and distinct expense, you've got to bring them along. If they ask you a question about growth trends in one or the other, um, to ignore that and just say, let's talk about net tuition revenue, it can be alienating. It can make people think, ooh, they must be hiding something. There could be a problem here. So being able to, to answer the question, but at the same time, um, pull people forward a bit at a time to think about things in a different way. Um, and that, I guess when I thought about being a, you know, a chief business officer, I hadn't thought a, a whole lot about that kind of um, partnering with the president and the board and, and that type of leadership role um, across the campus. It's a big job, but it's 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 an opportunity to contribute in a meaningful way. And that, you know, I think most of us or all of us who are CBOs, that's what we want ultimately. Anything else you'd like to share today, Ed, that I have neglected to ask? Yes. I think um, for people who are CBOs or aspiring CBOs, I really encourage uh, all of us to actively seek out mentors 
um, to serve as mentors along the way when you, when you can. Um, it's, you know, look for opportunities to grow. One of the things I've really enjoyed a lot, Megan, in, in the last few years is Nakubo does a future business officers program as part of the annual meeting, and I've been able to serve on the faculty there. So we in the industry that are in the CBO jobs and professional organizations like Nakubo, we're aware that there's a great need for CBOs in the future. More and more um, CBOs are coming of retirement age, so there's a need for greater talent. At the same time, we're also aware um, we have a responsibility and, in fact, the joy of being able to help people who want to get into these roles behind us um, to help them develop now, to give them the skills, to give them the honest advice about things to do and what not to do and and how uh, to undertake uh, certain challenges, how to use, uh, for instance, uh, community service sometimes as a way of acquiring skills that you, you wouldn't otherwise acquire in your job. So there's a lot of there's a lot of um, subtle points. A lot of it's encouragement. A lot of it is, is sharing our struggles. That this doesn't really come naturally to anybody because it's such a, a you know a, a large um, array of skills that you have. And even when you take the job, it doesn't mean that you have them all. I certainly didn't, and probably still don't. Uh, I'm still planning to develop those over the you know the, the course of my career. Well, it certainly sounds like you have served as one of those mentors and role models, Ed. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. Thank you very much, Megan. You can find out more about Ed and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks and iTunes so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Ed and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. 